Oh, uh, hey, uh, Premier Horgan, Ryan Reynolds here. Deadpool answers the call. I got your message about the thing. Ryan Reynolds' request to young people, but will it be effective? These are British Columbians that people recognize and respect. The Serb safety net nears an end. Come the end of August, they'll crash out of the system. How hundreds of thousands in B.C. will be hit the hardest. And party venues put on notice. If we want to be back in business, we got to follow the rules. The steps they're taking to pass. COVID spot checks and why they say bring it on. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with breaking news. Rising COVID-19 numbers in Metro Vancouver have prompted health authorities to crack down on businesses that are breaking the rules. The health ministry says a number of recent transmission events and ongoing surveillance and enforcement operations have resulted in the closure of several bars, restaurants and nightclubs in the Vancouver Coastal Health Region, some by public health order, others voluntarily. Coastal Health says West Oak Restaurant and Pierre's Champagne Lounge in Yaletown have been ordered to close until they update their safety plan and can prove they can open within the new guidelines. A notice on the website of Brandy's Exotic Show Lounge, where there had been an earlier exposure, indicates it has voluntarily closed. The number five orange is also closed. Now, all of this comes as there are 84 new cases in the last 24 hours, bringing the province's total since testing began to 4,358. There are no new deaths, so that number stays at 196. Twelve people are in hospital, an increase of three, four in the ICU. 3,533 people are now considered fully recovered. Right now, there are 629 active cases in B.C. and 2,026 people in self-isolation. Public health authorities will be on the move this weekend, monitoring private parties and banquet hall events. After yet another surge in COVID-19 cases in our province this week, B.C.'s health minister gave a stern warning taking aim at those large gatherings. But as Sarah McDonald reports, banquet hall operators say they are following protocol and ready to be inspected. So confident, the industry says, it should be allowed to host larger gatherings. With bylaw officers already on site Friday, ahead of the weekend, outside this Surrey banquet hall. Signs of yet another struggling industry can be seen inside, with pandemic-related protocol in place to enforce physical distancing and dividers to separate groups into fewer than 50 people. These markers no longer to direct dancers, but for those giving speeches instead. So we're following the same protocol as restaurants. Every restaurant that I've seen in the last couple months has had way more than 50 people there. And their, and their restaurants are like half the size of our banquet halls. Sukman and other banquet hall operators have found themselves under the microscope after a pointed warning from the health minister Thursday. You will be seeing environmental health officers. But when it comes to spot checks, those in compliance and even going above and beyond say, bring it on. Anybody can come and visit our uh, facilities. We are not doing anything that's wrong. No problem. Our doors are open. Uh, you know, our everything is, is proper with our organization. And so far, we've noticed everybody's been self-distancing. Everybody uh, has been following the rules. In fact, the operators we spoke with are so confident most BC banquet halls, including theirs, are abiding by COVID restrictions. 
They want the rules eased to allow for larger groups and put banquet halls in line with restaurants when it comes to customer capacity. Uh, with all the protocols we have in place and what we've done, as we'd like to you know, bring up to at least you know, 50% of our capacity. Like so many events-based industries, these are the prime months for income for banquet venues, collectively bracing for tens of millions of dollars in losses. People have been following rules in our environment. The industry has already appealed to the province for leniency to no avail as COVID cases continue to climb. The operators of these indoor party sites say they're not the ones to blame. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Fraser Health has added two Coquitlam pubs to the list of possible COVID exposures. Anyone who visited the Tap House on North Road between 9 p.m. on August 1st and 2 a.m. on August 2nd is asked to monitor themselves and get tested if they develop symptoms. The same goes for anyone who was at Charlie Hamilton's pub on Pine Tree Way August 4th from 7 until 11 in the evening. The potential risk is believed to be low. Earlier this week, Premier John Horgan publicly appealed to Hollywood A-listers Ryan Reynolds and Seth Rogen to help spread the word to young people about acting responsibly to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Today, both stars responded, but as Paul Johnson reports, Deadpool himself is questioning if he's the right messenger to deliver medical advice. Every hero's saga begins with the call to action. A call out to Deadpool right now. Uh, Ryan, we need your help up here. In need of fresh ideas to get through to young people about social distancing, Premier Horgan asked for help from two of BC's best-known actors, Ryan Reynolds and Seth Rogen. Friday morning, Deadpool responded. I mean, hey, uh, Premier Horgan, Ryan Reynolds here. Uh, I got your message about the thing. Reynolds no doubt remembers a thing or two about the scene up here in BC. As an up-and-comer, he lived in a Kitsilano apartment not far from the crowded beach scenes so alarming to the health officials. And young folks in BC, yeah, they're, they're partying, um, which is of course dangerous uh, and they probably don't know that that thousands of young people aren't just getting sick from coronavirus, that they're, they're also dying from it too. The mock voicemail Reynolds tweeted out is equal parts comedy and stark warning. As a celebrity meme, it's all but guaranteed to go viral. Will it actually change behavior? Ryan Reynolds, Seth Rogen, they're uh, the 40-year-old golden children of British Columbia media over the past 20 years. Social media expert Jesse Miller is skeptical. He says a successful message has to be delivered in a medium young people pay attention to and be about something they feel can actually affect them. I think that there's going to be a lot of social sharing, but it doesn't mean that this is a, an awareness campaign that's going to trigger a change in behavior. Late Friday, Seth Rogen acknowledged the premier with this tweet. Any cool kid can tell you what that means. And while getting through to youth is the challenging holy grail of messaging, having Reynolds and Rogan involved surely can't hurt and shows they haven't forgotten their roots. Let's not kill anyone. I think that's reasonable. Paul Johnson, Global News. Federal officials say Canadians should be prepared for COVID-19 to come in waves until at least January 2022. Updated modeling coming out of Ottawa today shows officials are striving for the best case scenario, 
but planning for the worst. They're aiming for a so-called slow burn scenario, which keeps case rates low. The worst case would be a large fall peak, followed by ongoing peaks that challenge the public health system's capacity to properly manage the virus. Infection rates will keep increasing as more provinces further reopen their respective economies. They say our collective responsibility as Canadians is to limit the size and impact of these potential surges. So far, Canada has had more than 9,000 COVID-related deaths. New cases or outbreaks can begin anywhere. This means that all areas of Canada must ensure public health, laboratory testing, and infection prevention control measures are well in place to maintain a high level of awareness and readiness to detect and respond to new cases rapidly. While many B.C. parents are worried about their kids' safety when school resumes in September, some families are feeling an added level of anxiety. So as teachers and administrators design the return-to-classroom learning, many families are hoping the plan isn't one-size-fits-all. Richard Zussman reports. It's what many students like Isabella Ritchie are asking for the province. What are the options if I don't want to go back to school? I personally think that students should have an online option. Richie has asthma, and her mother, Stephanie Carter, is expressing what many parents feel. There are limited options. Send their kids back to class or pull them out of their local school to distance learn, homeschool, or pay to send them to an independent school. Bringing people together indoors, as Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix have been drilling into our minds for several months now, is dangerous. Education Minister Rob Fleming says he doesn't want to see kids withdraw from their local school if they plan on going there down the road because it could mean they lose their spot. And ultimately, it is up to each school district to decide what sort of education options there are outside of the classroom. Just next week, the Vancouver School, Vancouver school District will be rolling out their plan for their community, worked with, with the teachers and the parents and the, uh, the support staff in that community that will have a mix and a hybrid. But it's unclear what that hybrid will look like. The BC Teachers Federation is working to find a way for teachers who are uncomfortable for medical or personal reasons to return to school to work with families from their school who feel the same way. We believe there needs to be an option that will uh, support these children staying connected to their home schools while being provided, you know, some sort of remote learning. Then there are those with complex needs, from non-verbal kids to immunocompromised to those with anxiety issues, who are hoping for a school plan that instilled more confidence. Where's your science? I'm trying to find it. Parents questioning why things aren't clearer after five months of planning. There's a lot of confusion and a sort of brewing sense of distrust that things aren't falling into place. The province releasing data showing 60% of kids saw an increase in stress since the pandemic. But many families, Bennett and Carter included, are worried that those anxieties will even grow with a return to school plan they right now just can't trust. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, since the Canada Emergency Response Benefit was first introduced back in March, more than 8.5 million Canadians have applied for the CERB. But the program is set to go away as of October 3rd. And a new study has found that will leave more than a million people in a dire financial situation. Brad McLeod reports. If this goes badly, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, in the neighbourhood of 2 million people, uh, who will crash out of the system and receive no income support. 
an economist is sounding the alarm as CERB starts transitioning to EI at the end of the month. And I'm really heartbroken for my 31 employees. Many employers concerned their laid-off staff will be taken care of after the change. I worry about my people I've let down. According to the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, many on CERB won't qualify for EI or will get considerably less money. The province that's proportionally worst off would be BC. Uh, 87% of the people presently receiving CERB would likely be worse off after the switch off. At the beginning of August, approximately 4.7 million Canadians were receiving the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. But only 41% of those people would be eligible for employment insurance under the existing EI rules. The centre says roughly 800,000 Canadians receiving EI would be getting less than the $500 they got from CERB. On average, they would be getting $312 a week. We need to cover a lot more people than the EI system did before the pandemic. So self-employed workers, uh, workers who don't make very much. And we need to make it a lot easier to get into the EI system in the first place. The federal government has started to make some changes. Creating a national uniform unemployment rate so that everybody has the same criteria for eligibility no matter where you live in this country. But for many folks in B.C., a compounding issue looms. If I don't have CERB, I'm going to get evicted. The ban on evictions has been lifted and as of September 1st, British Columbians can be kicked out if they can't pay their August rent. The last CERB payment will be issued October 3rd. Brad McLeod, Global News. Well, the province is using its fuel price transparency bill to target the wholesale gas market. After a Utilities Commission inquiry found British Columbians were inexplicably paying 13 cents more per litre at the pumps. Starting in October, companies that import, purchase, store and distribute retail gas and diesel products are now mandated to regularly report to the BCUC. The reports must include detailed information on fuel imports, storage capacity, bulk sales and wholesale prices. All of these steps are taken as we pull back the curtain on secrecy and keep companies publicly accountable for unfair markups and cost increases that cannot be explained. This will help us to bring fairness and transparency to the price BC drivers pay at the gas pump. You know, we may be cheering today and saying, uh, you know, let's go after those folks and they're, they're doing us in. What happens, though, if it does reveal what I've been saying for the better part of the past few years? It's your own government policies that are contributing mightily uh, to that mystery 13 cents. It's going to be a massive and colossal disappointment uh, for the government. Let me go to prediction. It may actually call an election before that time. And if that's the case, of course, uh, that'll sort of kick this thing down the road. The Fuel Price Transparency Act, which requires companies to disclose how gas prices are set, was passed last year after the BCUC found a lack of competition and significant markups in B.C. Well, many people are heeding the call to explore B.C. this summer, but not all are doing it as safely as they should be. And that's putting enormous strain on search and rescue crews. How calls for help are on the rise and making for long days for the volunteers in just over a minute. A car explodes outside an Ontario courthouse and police suspect it was a bomb. The grisly discovery inside the vehicle later. Plus... A BC girl's birthday made extra special by strangers from around the world. That's still to come on the news hour. 
Right now, though, as more British Columbians travel within B.C. this summer, there appears to be a trend of more outdoor enthusiasts needing help. North Shore Rescue was tasked with three calls in just 24 hours, and Squamish crews received 15 calls in 10 days. Jordan Armstrong reports. Another day, another series of rescues on the North Shore. By noon Friday, there had been three call-outs in 24 hours. The first one uh, was an injured female on the house on Crest Trail. She fell and hit her head. Uh, we had another call for three hikers that were stuck on Coliseum Mountain. The trio of friends never intended to spend the night and were grateful to be helicoptered to safety at first light. They give us food, they give us water, and without them, we we're not gonna able to make it, actually. So we yeah. appreciate it a lot. They admit they were not prepared. We just have only one bottle, and we try to share it all of them. We were planning for, like, very easy hike. In Squamish, the brief calm before the next wave of major rescues. Volunteers have just wrapped up 15 calls in 10 days. We had six calls on Sunday and four calls on Monday. Uh, which is really rare for our team, um, and it's a, it's a really high call volume. Which meant that on Monday, Squamish volunteers were at it from 9 in the morning until 10.30 at night. Um, they kind of went back to back to back, so uh, we ate breakfast together, lunch and dinner. And no rest for him because he had to go directly to his actual job as a firefighter. It does put a tax on, on the volunteers for sure. They come from their families and their jobs uh, to go out and help. But right now, we're holding our own. One of the trickier calls was near the top of Mount Garibaldi. A hiker slipped and fell 12 meters into a crevasse. The message is be prepared with the backcountry essentials and be prepared to wait. With so many calls for help, it could take a while for the pros to come and get you. A cold, hard reality these hikers experienced firsthand. Jordan Armstrong, Global News, Squamish. And late this afternoon, a 16th call for search and rescue in Squamish. Volunteers were called out to rescue an injured climber. A five-year-old new Westminster girl we told you about yesterday is about to get some of her freedom back. A GoFundMe page to help replace Raya Martin's stolen custom-made walker has surpassed its fundraising goal. More than $6,000 has been raised to get Raya the specialized walker that helps her get around. Someone stole the made-in-Denmark walker, which had been secured and locked on the back of the family van earlier this week. Many generous global viewers also contacted us, offering to replace the walker. Well, just ahead, online and on the prowl. This is when predators kind of swoop in. How more kids have been targeted since the pandemic began. And later, the link between COVID-19 and your heart. Just one vehicle left here from this earlier crash in Langley, westbound on Highway 1 at the 264th on-ramp. Looks like they're just waiting for a tow truck. Traffic is still in recovery mode, even though all lanes are once again open. Traffic is slow from Mount Lehman on the approach. Tonight's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $20 million. Dream to the max with an estimated $20 million from Lotto Max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Langley. 
about a dangerous sex offender who will be living in Surrey. Howard Getty Skelding has been convicted of a number of offenses, including sexual assault and possession of a weapon. He's considered a high risk to reoffend. Getty Skelding was released from custody today under a number of conditions, including that he must remain under house arrest except with permission. He's also been ordered not to possess weapons and to stay away from drugs and alcohol. The pandemic has forced kids to stay at home and be online more than ever. Many finding gaming a suitable distraction. Unfortunately, those who prey on children are more than aware of this. Many parents report their kids have been receiving unwelcome attention online and in gaming groups. As Rumina Dea reports, it's a wake-up call for everyone. Maya, 11, and her friend Olivia, 12, live life online. But with every click, they follow their gut instinct. Sometimes I get random calls from like, it might have like been like a scam or like just random people calling me. And I always show it to my parents. BC's integrated child exploitation team says reports of exploitation, including child luring, grooming and child pornography, were up 45% during the COVID lockdown compared to March through May of last year. They just are reaching and craving for that interaction with their friends, but not allowed to go out. I can see that that being a danger online because they're craving for new friends and conversations, which is something parents need to be aware of. Child predators infiltrating popular social media platforms and online games. Like Roblox, Minecraft and Call of Duty to cultivate friendships, offer gifts, compliments and build trust, say police. It's your imagination with no rules to follow. The dangers to a lot of these social media platforms is the chat option, which is where grooming can begin. Predators like to isolate and manipulate kids so that they don't talk to parents. So it's really important for parents to stay in tune with their kids' lives. If your child's coming to you openly and talking to you and all of a sudden the response is, I'm shutting this down, the next time this comes around, your kid's not going to want to talk to you. I think I mean... The girls, not annoyed by their teachers and parents preaching awareness, they prefer being prepared. Like, I just want to make sure that, like, nothing, like, nobody ever gets, like, kind of, like take advantage of me. I just want to make sure that I'm safe. Romina Dea, Global News. The ban on non-essential travel between Canada and the U.S. is being extended for another 30 days. That means the two countries will continue their mutual ban on so-called discretionary travel, such as vacations and shopping trips, until at least September 21st. The ban was first imposed in March and has been rolled over several times. The U.S. has been grappling with fresh COVID-19 outbreaks across the country in recent weeks. RCMP are warning the public about homemade explosive devices being set off in, in South Surrey. Police received numerous reports of blasts heard near the golf course at 4th Avenue and 171 Street between July 19th and August 9th. On the first date, witnesses saw a group a group of young men fleeing the area. Officers discovered the remnants of a small improvised explosive device. There are no reports of anyone being hurt. If you find a suspicious device, you should avoid touching it and call Surrey RCMP. 
Vancouver police have arrested a 23-year-old Victoria man in connection with the killing of an overdose prevention worker. Maximus Roland Hayes has been charged with one count of manslaughter in the death of Thomas Donaghy. Donaghy was on a break from his shift at the overdose prevention site at St. Paul's Hospital on July 31st when he was stabbed. Hayes was arrested in North Vancouver yesterday. Just ahead, hundreds affected by a possible COVID exposure in Toronto. What can I say about that? They, you know, they got to follow the protocols. How a single case has sparked concern at a downtown strip club. Plus, a fatal car explosion in Ontario. Why police believe it was an IED. It's a beautiful evening and traffic is in great shape both ways over here at the Patello Bridge. Do keep in mind though that Front Street, which runs underneath the Patello Bridge, that's closed every weekend uh, for the summer. So you can use Columbia or Royal Avenue instead of Front Street. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and real Canadian superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. In Kitchener, Ontario, a car exploded outside a local courthouse today and a grisly discovery was made soon after. Waterloo Regional Police say the blast appears to be the result of a suspected improvised explosive device. Once firefighters put out the fire, a man's body was found inside. The investigation to this point has revealed that the individual who's deceased in the vehicle uh, is possibly the male responsible for the explosion. Therefore, we are searching two residences associated to the mail, uh, again, to ensure public safety. More than 500 patrons of a Toronto strip club may have been exposed to the coronavirus. Toronto Public Health has confirmed an employee at the Brass Rail Tavern has tested positive for COVID-19. Global Sean O'Shea reports. Exposure is what customers of this gentleman's club are promised in the advertisements on the street. What they didn't expect was exposure to COVID-19. But that's what happened earlier this month here at the Brass Rail Tavern on Young Street, just south of Bloor. It's a very high-risk environment because they're ready, they're complaining about, you know, the young kids going into nightclubs and stuff. Over a four-day period, the health department says 550 customers may have had contact with the employee. Global News has learned she was a waitress at the tavern. Now the call is out for those who are here to get tested. What can I say about that? They, you know, they got to follow the protocols. That's, that's it. Stay, you know, practice social distancing. I know it sounds crazy, Lucas, when you're talking about the brass rail, but that's, you just got to do it. Customers are required to provide their name and phone number when they show up, just in case something like this happens. Although many question who would actually provide accurate information if they're coming to a gentleman's club. Basically, clear, you are not never going to put down your real name. If they're afraid of their wives finding out, they'll be using probably your name <laughs> and his phone number. The mayor is stressing the importance of caution and the value of contact tracing. In a crowd like that, how easy it could be to spread the virus and get us right back to where we were, and none of us want to go there. It's good to have contact tracing, and I think Toronto's been doing such a great job. It would be terrible to think that we're going to be set back because of some lapse in judgment by either customers or employees or the owners of this club. 
The owner of another strip club, Fillmore's Hotel, told us off-camera most of his patrons wear masks, as do waitstaff and dancers. He says his staff, like those of the brass rail, are temperature screened coming to work and that they follow all the rules set by health authorities. Still, this case is a reminder about the risks of indoor gatherings and how one minute no one's aware of a problem, the next, hundreds or more people are at risk of contracting the virus. Sean O'Shea, Global News. The Calgary Board of Education and the Catholic School District announced today all students and staff will be required to wear masks when they head back to class this fall. On August 4th, the province mandated the use of masks for all staff and grade 4 to 12 students in hallways and other shared spaces at public schools. Now, Calgary school districts are implementing their own mandates, which encompasses all students. In Health Matters tonight, heart damage may be a common feature of COVID-19. That's according to a statement from the American Heart Association published this morning. Experts say inflammation and damage to the heart contributes to about 40% of all COVID-19 deaths. They also say nearly a quarter of hospitalized patients have experienced serious heart complications. The statement cites previous studies that suggested COVID-19 may lead to heart attacks, stroke, clotting issues and fatal irregular heartbeats. The push is on for a successful COVID-19 vaccine. Efforts around the world are in the human trial phase, and Russia claims it will start mass vaccinations in October. But there's also a push to make any successful vaccine patent-free and available to all. But how, that, how would that work, and would it be realistic? The race is on for what some argue will be the most coveted resource of our time a COVID-19 vaccine. It's not just about the health of people, but getting economies going again. And geopolitics is shaping the decisions around who will get the vaccine first. Canada is among the rich countries that have taken a gamble on pharmaceutical companies and have pre-ordered millions of vaccines in the hopes that one will be successful. But some in the international community worry it leaves developing countries in the dark and have advocated for any successful vaccine to be patent-free. Big countries are paying in advance to mop up all the production. USA has already done that. UK has already done that. Europeans have done that. So what happens to the rest of the world? That's Mohammed Yunus. He's a Nobel Peace Prize winner who launched an international campaign to make the coronavirus vaccine free of any intellectual property. Leaders from around the world have signed the pledge, agreeing that whoever creates a vaccine shares the recipe and the know-how with the rest of the world so production can happen anywhere. But how would a patent-free vaccine work? And would it be realistic? In vaccine development and manufacturing, it's not as straightforward. The, the sort of tech transfer, knowledge transfer process, is, it's not a given that an ability to to make an, an effective, safe and effective vaccine in one site can be transferred somewhere else. Harris points out that rich countries investing in research and pre-ordering vaccines may not necessarily be a bad thing because it spurs innovation to try and get the safest vaccine possible in the shortest amount of time. Accessibility issues arise only when countries try to monopolize the vaccine for every single one of their citizens first. Actually, what they should be doing is protecting those in greatest need and with highest vulnerability everywhere first, because that's the fastest and most effective way to end the pandemic. This means getting the vaccine to the elderly, healthcare and essential workers, and those who are most vulnerable first around the world to help end the pandemic. As of now, there are well over 100 vaccine and development efforts. 
with many in the human trial phase. Russia is the first country to approve a COVID-19 vaccine, despite international skepticism about its effectiveness and safety. But as we get closer to a successful vaccine, experts argue it will be essential for countries to have consensus on equitable distribution. Emanuela Campanella, Global News. Still to come, a six-year-old gets a birthday surprise she didn't see coming. Oh. My. Gosh. When COVID canceled her party, how strangers from around the world stepped in to help. Plus, Canucks Nation on edge. Game two goes into overtime. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. impromptu dance lesson in the halls of the legislature. More on that coming up after Yvonne and the forecast. <laughs> Can he come here and show us that? I know, he's so sweet and he has the best laugh. Oh, he's we're inviting him here. Come visit us. Yes, come. Well, are we allowed to do that? Well, social. We could do it outside. We could do it outside. We could do it outside. Good call. And it'll be beautiful, dare I say, even hot. <laughs> yes, very hot, especially leading into the weekend. We've been advertising heat on the way. I'll show you the peak of the heat, how warm it will be in just a moment. But a quick glance, and this is what it looks like overlooking English Bay. Temperatures today have gotten into the low 20s with the Humidex 2 and up to 4 degrees, even warmer. A light southwesterly wind out of the airport at 6 kilometers per hour. A different weather picture and story that we're following along the northern half of the province. A frontal system is stalled along the north coast. We're seeing rain heavy at times. It's been through the day today. It'll continue overnight and into Saturday. So a heads up and a rainfall warning along the north coast and inland areas. So the heaviest rain still continuing overnight for Saturday. It'll be a wet day along the north coast for Sunday and then it should really start to ease off. Some of the amounts and what we're looking at along the coast over 100 millimeters. These are totals and inland with up to 75 millimeters inland including Kitimat for that. So rain and heavy at times. It'll still be very soggy for Saturday. Now, long-range forecast and the upper-level ridge that we're following for the south coast will be in towards the weekend. The peak of the heat for the south coast will be Sunday, Monday. Those will be the hottest days and still seeing the heat for the southern interior for both Monday and Tuesday. So a heads up, temperatures are going to be soaring. We can see that on the temperature trend. Areas away from the water will get into the mid-30s when you factor in the Humidex. Monday, Tuesday, still sunny and hot and then a change with more cloud cover rolling in on Wednesday. Now we are going to see the heat hot into the 30s for most areas and the upper 30s for the southern interior and the southeastern corners. Rainfall along the coast for tomorrow. Areas along the southern half, it'll be dry, very hot for the south coast, inland, especially away from the water for tomorrow and into both days out of the weekend. We'll be feeling closer to 30 degrees. One blip in the forecast will be for Sunday night. Cloud cover, a few isolated showers and then sunny and hot for both Monday, Tuesday. Tonight, central windows, weather window. This is a beautiful shot. Piper the dog. Courtney captured by Sonia. Soph. Oh, kind of moody that picture. Thank you very much. One week after Yukon-based IT, spe- uh, an IT specialist started spreading his love of Bhangra in BC, he's back in Victoria.
Gurdeep Pandir giving MLAs a lunchtime Bhangra lesson at the B.C. Legislature, where he began his 10-day tour of Vancouver Island with a dance on the lawn. The Bhangra dance instructor is famous for his viral videos. He's gaining new fans as he shares his moves with a new audience during this road trip. Pandir plans to travel across the country once the pandemic is over. Bhangra is a great high-energy workout, so if you don't want to go to gym or if you want to do any other other like fitness activity, <laughs> you can dance Bhangra. It's, it's a great exercise, plus it makes you happy too. A great workout. I think the MLAs need to practice me just a little <laughs> tiny bit more. He's a good teacher. All right, Barry. All think, on the edge of our seats here. Yes, I think that's what Canuck fans might be doing right now, <laughs> celebrating. We've heard there's been a goal in overtime, but the Canucks trying to hit another perfect note against the Blues. It sure helps when Bo Horbett thinks he's Connor McDavid. There by Tanev, and away goes Horbett again. What a move by Horbett! Scores! Bo An incredible goal, his uh, greatest goal ever, I would say. Was it enough to beat the Blues in Game 2? We'll tell you when we come back. And later, COVID couldn't crush a BC girl's birthday dreams thanks to the kindness of strangers. All right, Barry, I just saw someone say on Twitter that the West End just exploded, and I'm assuming they're talking about the Canucks. I sure yeah, hope that's what it is. It's amazing you can get this excited about hockey in August, but you can have fever any time of the year, apparently. <laughs> Thanks, so if The uh, Canucks had a chance tonight to put the Stanley Cup champion Blues in a deep hole in Game 2 of their series. Canucks are playing their best hockey of the season. They are getting contributions from everyone and have turned into that young, energetic, talented team that Jim Benning has envisioned over the past few years and they went toe-to-toe with the Blues again in another amazing game tonight in the bubble. Captain Bo Horvat, two goals in game one, and man, was he heard from again today. More of that in a moment. First of all, the Blues coming out with purpose. David Perron with a chance, then Jaden Schwartz. Canucks weathered the storm. Markstrom was solid again tonight. Then one of the most spectacular goals in Canucks playoff history, Bo Horvat, coast-to-coast, with all the right moves, an incredible solo effort. That was not Connor McDavid, but it sure looked like him. Horvat with the goal of the playoffs, and it was shorthanded to boot. Yes, he did beat a forward on the second move, but that's amazing. Boy, has he played a great. Jake Bertanen, more noticeable tonight. Feed to Chris Taneb, but Jordan Binnington played better tonight with the big save there. one nothing connects after one. Then in the second, just as JT Miller's coming out of the box, the long pass, and Miller... Settles the bouncing puck. What a move. A brilliant play. Just one problem. He was offside. They reviewed it. The skate's up. It had to be on the making contact with the blue line. So it's the right call. Offside, so it remains one nothing. But later on a power play, they do get one that counts. Elias Pettersson, great feed for Tanner Pearson. His third of the postseason. He's been very good. Playing like the guy who won the Cups in L.A. Canucks now 4 of 8 in the series, 8 power play goals uh, overall in these playoffs. They're up 2-0. It got nasty. Sammy Boy hits Brandon Sutter from behind. Jay Beagle jumps in for his teammate. Inexplicably, he got the extra penalty. And the Blues, on their 6th power play, finally break through on Markstrom. It's Ryan O'Reilly with his first ever goal uh, against the Canucks, 2-1 after 2. But in the 3rd... 
Canucks restore the two-goal lead with another power play goal. Their fifth in uh, two games in the series. Elias Pettersson bunts in the rebound. We've seen him do this a couple of times before. They don't play baseball in Sweden, but he's good at it. 3-1 Canucks. But St. Louis really pressured the Canucks all night. Alex Edler with the giveaway. Sammy Blay makes him pay. It's 3-2. And the Canucks trying to hang on. The Blues were relentless with the pressure. With six seconds to go, Alex Petrangelo's point shot deflected in by David Perron. Now, initially, they ruled it a high stick and no goal, but they reviewed it, and they actually made the right call. The stick was below the bar, so they tie it with six seconds left to send it to overtime. But we got breaking news here. Guess who? Bo Horvat. Are you kidding me? He scores yet again, and the Canucks win 4-3 in overtime. They lead the series two games to none, game three Sunday night, and there's some excitement in this town about this team, and well, there should be. All right, Habs and Flyers, Kirk Muller behind the bench, replacing Claude Julien, who had a heart procedure yesterday and will likely not be back for the rest of the playoffs, and the Habs played inspired for their head coach, who's now recovering in Montreal a minute in, Brendan Gallagher, hard work. Great move to get it out to Thomas Tatar for his first. Second period, now 2-0 on a power play. Tatar again, perfect shot, post and in, 3-0 for the Habs. As there's the shot by Tatar, got his first two goals of the playoffs. He and Gallagher needed to get going, and they sure got going today. Third period, young Finn Jesperi caught Kaniemi, puts the icing on the cake, his second of the game. Habs throttled the Flyers, 5-0, and this series is tied at a game apiece. The uh, Whitecaps will get back to MLS play next week. It's the start of six straight matches against Canadian competition only as the league tries to resume the regular schedule in these irregular times. The Whitecaps will play at Toronto next Tuesday and Friday. That'll be a tough assignment, but at least Mark DeSantos will finally have a full roster after being down half a dozen key players like Lucas Cavallini and Freddie Montero in the MLS's back tournament in Florida. It's going normal now. It's going how it should be because it was really hard to train with such a limited type of group. And uh, it's just good to have the full team together. And it's uh, it's been good. It's been changing. It even changes the environment and training and the mentality. And, you know, a team should be like that. A team should be together. Now, former Whitecap Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich taking on Barcelona in the Champions League quarters and... Byron had a record-setting day. Thomas Muller with the goal here in the 31st. Already 4-1 Byron. And then we, you thought Bo Horvat did some uh, fancy work. Check out this piece of brilliance from Davies. An incredible solo effort to set up Joshua Kimmich. Now, this kid's still 19. He's a global super, a superstar in the making who's a Canadian and a former Whitecap. And that's about as exciting as it gets. The announcers on the broadcast couldn't say enough incredible things. This is like off a soccer game video. Incredible play by Davies, and he just keeps getting better and better. And as mentioned, he's not even 20 years old yet, and no one could stop Byron. They're probably the best team in the world. Coutinho scores there, 8 to the final. Most goals ever scored in a Champions League elimination game. They're off to the semifinals. But obviously the big story might be those Canucks. And yeah, I think the... the celebrations are going to spill out on the streets tonight. So No kidding. All right, you can catch your breath now, Barry. Thank you.
Let's check it with Ann Drua for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. We'll have more tonight on the health authorities' crackdown on businesses that are not following COVID-19 safety rules. Plus, it appears BC is a popular destination for Canadians planning a getaway during the pandemic. The Okanagan had three of the top five cities in Google hotel searches with Kelowna ranked number one. But now Kelowna residents are being asked how comfortable they are with all the tourists coming to town. That story and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. And up next, a pandemic birthday party for a special little girl. Thanks to the generosity of strangers from around the world. Stay with us. A Kamloops girl would normally be surrounded by family and friends, many of them from the U.S., when she celebrates her birthday. Well, that's now changed in the time of COVID-19. But when Charlie turned six this week, she was still surrounded by well wishes from around the world. Oh, look at that, Mom! Surrounded by gift wrap and brightly colored cards and envelopes, Charlie is beaming. Have the new doors! It's her sixth birthday, a celebration she was supposed to share with family from the U.S. We would either go down to Idaho or uh, her aunt and family would come up from Idaho to help celebrate the birthday. Oh, my but with the borders closed, an in-person reunion with family was not possible. When I figured out we really couldn't get out there because I kept hoping the border would open, we, I decided to go online and ask people for help to send cards and just to make her smile. But people went above and beyond. They sent packages and, and they made cards. They sent like gifts inside the cards and it was just, it snowballed into something Crazy. This is from Arlington, Virginia. So far, Charlie has received more than 170 cards and 15 packages. And this one's from Timmins, Ontario. With every new gift opened, Charlie becomes more excited. <laughs> Look. It's so fun. I just wished I could have been there, you know? It's hard not being there. This is the first birthday I've had to miss. Got some cupcakes here for Charlie from a lovely lady named Lori Martin. While she couldn't have all of her loved ones there to celebrate, Charlie certainly was loved on her birthday. You always turn on the news and it's negative this, negative that. But to know that these people are out there, it warms your heart knowing the kindness of strangers. With everything that's going on in the world right now, it's nice to see a little bit of sun sunshine. Happy birthday, Charlie. Jill Sperling, CFJC News. Happy birthday, Charlie. All right, final word on the weather, Yvonne. Hot over the weekend. Uh, we are going to see temperatures soaring, especially for Sunday, up to 35 degrees. So be prepared for the heat. Enjoy your weekend, everyone, but be safe. We'll see you on Monday.